Welcome back to The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is about relationships, and particularly infidelity within relationships, um, different structures of relationships, all the different ones, polyamory, polyandry, monogamy, monogamish, and uh, some of the urges that individual partners may have to reach out for sexual influence or romantic influence or emotional influence or anything of the sort outside of their primary or perhaps solitary partner. Why does that happen with such great consistency throughout culture? Uh, across all the cultures. Uh, is it inherently wrong? Is it inherently bad? Is it a product of some type of evolution, evolutionary mismatch within a new dating paradigm that's uh, still on top of old ancestral patterns? Um, or some combination of all of that or none of that. Uh, but this conversation is all about the topic of cheating. I think the world that we live in as a modern human being is uh, can be confusing at times, and this conversation hopefully sheds some level of clarity um, through the, the wisdom of Stephanos. Um, I clearly am like a chicken its head cut off running around trying to scrounge up any type of information around statistics or polls or really anything of what the hell is going on in this whole relationship dating world. It is confusing for me at times. What is right? What is wrong? What is okay? What is acceptable? What is truth? Um, what is compulsion? What is addiction? <sighs> very interesting stuff. I'm very grateful for Stefanos sharing his time and his wisdom with us today. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, I personally do not have a dog in the race, I think is how that, that phrase goes, dog in the fight of what the the best container of relationship is. Um, I think that there are benefits and detriments to really all forms. And there is self-work and development um, that abounds with all, within all forms. And so this was a discussion, hopefully as neutral of a discussion as possible to investigate how to make our relationships with ourselves and with other people um, a little bit more coherent, seamless, uh, satisfied, and fulfilled. I hope you enjoy it. I want to thank you guys for subscribing to this so you catch each week's episode. Thank you for reviews. I read all of them. I oftentimes read them on each episode. I'm not going to right now because I don't have it pulled up, um, but that's okay. I appreciate them and appreciate you guys. And uh, let's get to it with my guy, Stefanos Sifandos. Pow. I wanted to start and thank you for being here. First of all, I've been trying to, to ask more specific, poignant questions in the very, very beginning that feel a little abrupt before building rapport. I like that. So I want to start off. Is there a ideal um, style of relationship? And is there a potential that modern humans could possibly have some type of like modern pressures to fit themselves into a style of relationship that may or may not match their evolution and if that is the case what do we do or is that not the case 
I believe it is the case. Ah. To answer the second question first. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I believe it is the case. Okay. And to answer the first question, I think it's yes and no. Yeah. It depends how you define ideal. If yeah. you're saying ideal is there is an objective way to relate and that's the only way, then my answer is no. If we're speaking to subjective idealism within the individual, what is ideal to you? And it can be difficult to decipher between societal pressures, cultural upbringing, family values, all of that, and what you truly yearn for and desire and want to explore. Then the answer is, yeah, there is there can be an ideal for you based on what your needs are. But figuring out our needs, that's the tough part. Figuring out what we really want, the relationship container we want to be in, intimately, sexually, relationally, psychologically, all of that, socially, that, that's challenging because there's so much clutter in our world. Mm. I have a conversation coming up with Wednesday Martin, who wrote a book called Untrue. Are you familiar with her? I'm familiar with the name, yes. Okay. She's a sweetie. Uh, we're recording. I'm listening to her book right now, and we're recording a couple weeks. So uh, what that a big part of what that is about is that there is a, a distruth in the idea that men are more likely to go out and have sex with other partners and... Um, engage in infidelity than women are and that it's just men are just like sex crazed fiends and they just want to spread their seed and spread their genetics and women just want to be safe and stay home and birth a child and have that container and her whole book gets into like well that's actually not the way it works I agree and and, and both both sexes are actually more similar than um, what culture would suggest I agree Uh, and so yeah within that I guess my question is why do people cheat and is cheat even an appropriate term? Because I think cheat actually is an appropriate term in some ways as far as like reciprocity. If you're trying to get something, but you're not giving back or you're like kind of breaking the, the rules and the agreements, it is a fine term. Hmm. But I notice when I hear the term cheat, I kind of like, it makes me kind of like, I get a little like, is that is that the best term? You know, I but mean, why, why do men or women cheat? I think cheating, the term cheating is, it's an underhanded, dishonest play. Right in in relational dynamics, like you're yeah. saying, you're doing one thing, or you're by even by default, like by saying you're not doing that thing, and then you're doing it, you're being dishonest. So there's a there's a cheating in the game. Like life's a game, and life's full of paradoxes as well, from my perspective. Anyway, I I agree with with Wednesday's take on that from what you've shared in terms of I think we're equally predisposed to seek variety and novelty in the form of sexual experience. Yes, both men and women. Uh, have a propensity to do that. And you could even argue, let's just look at it from this perspective for a moment. I haven't done enough research in this particular, this refined space. I don't even know what level of research exists. But what we do know is that a woman's genitalia, female genitalia has greater nerve endings um, and greater pleasure points connecting to the brain than a male, right? If we are creatures of pleasure and we pursue pleasure and sex for the most part, especially when there's consent, gives us pleasure, we could potentially deduce that a female may even cheat more than a male. Mm. That's kind of Wednesday's perspective in the book, which is obviously a, a biased perspective based sure. off like producing the book, but she has a ton of research to suggest that yeah. is the case. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but what I'm attempting to do in that statement is say that uh, it's men aren't the only ones that engage in infidelity or say that they're in a monogamous relationship and they're seeking sexual fulfillment outside of that relationship. Women do that too. We all do that. Why do we do that? That's a loaded question. There are many reasons why we may do that. Go back to your original question about that perfect relationship container. Yeah. So people that are in a monogamous container, that means that they're emotionally, socially, sexually committed. Well, 
see, monogamy and monogamish can be so many, so many rabbit holes here. But <clears throat> let's assume that they're in this committed, socially committed, emotionally committed, relationally and sexually committed relationship. We'll have to define monogamish now as well. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and and that, well, that's and that's quite subjective too. Do you want to define it now? Whatever. Why not? Yeah. It's different for different people because, again, you mentioned agreements. So agreements really matter in a relationship. And some people, they're in a non-monogamous relationship. And let's just say they, they have an agreement where they can have multiple sex partners. and But sex partners only. And they have parameters around that. Like it has to be under this condition. You can only meet them once. I have to meet them. Uh, I have to know who they are. I have to know the history. Whatever it may be, right? Yeah. Let's just say then part of that agreement is you have to wear protection. And that partner doesn't one of the partners don't then or they don't engage in protection that could be considered cheating but they're in a non-monogamous relationship they're in this open relationship open container yeah so cheating can exist under any circumstances so i think it's important to to know that so the monogamish piece is we are this but we at times under certain conditions may explore a threesome or we may explore a play party but for the large part we are socially emotionally sexually monogamous to each other we yeah. only these things with each other so, why do people cheat? Part of it is because people are stuck in containers that don't suit them. And they say they want to be with one person, but really they, they don't. And they want to explore other relationships, whether it's just casual sex, whether it's more long-term emotional sex. They may want multiple partners in an emotional way uh, that leads to sexual interaction. Or some people, uh, they use sex as a crux. I did. So I use sex as a distraction. So whether I was in relationship or not, I needed it as a peak experience to distract me from my own internal pain that I was avoiding. I also used adrenaline and status-seeking activities. I was talking about um, you know, CrossFit earlier and, and just performance sports. So I'd do my best in performance sports to seek validation. It's a, it's a high, right? It's, it's a peak experience for me. I would engage in sports that were dangerous or activities that were dangerous that would give me adrenaline, all to distract me from my pain. Food was another thing that I would use as well and sometimes still use that as a crux like to distract me from things that I don't want to feel. So when we say why do people cheat, some people cheat because they're in the habit of that. They're in the habit of just, they think it's normal. They think it's, well, normal, I shouldn't say normal. They think and believe that what someone else doesn't know doesn't hurt them mm. and it's for my pleasure. Some people are addicted to the honeymoon stage yeah. of relating but there's so many reasons I could keep going on and on obviously. But the reality is that when it comes to infidelity, and some, sometimes people, they're drunk one night, their inhibitions are free, and they, they never really had that experience before, and they meet someone that they really connect with, and there's a natural extension of, well, let's be sexually intimate to consummate our connection, yep. to, to solidify, to go deeper into it. And it's a quote-unquote mistake, or it's a one-off, and it's not something that they do regularly. They don't want to be dishonest with their partners, but they'll then hide that. And or, like, I mean, here's another interesting thing. Say you're in a relationship, or you are in a relationship, but let's say you're in a relationship for those that are listening as well, yep. and you have a porn compulsion. You look at porn every day, you masturbate to porn every day, your partner doesn't know, you've had discussions before around it not really feeling comfortable for your partner that you're watching porn every day. So your partner's under the belief that that doesn't happen. Is that cheating or not? Uh, yes. If that's the part of the agreement. That's part of the agreement. Yeah. I agree. So agreements are really, really important. Where we get stuck, I think, in relationships is where we're scared to share what we truly desire. Right. And because we're scared of rejection or humiliation or judgment 
or that person leaving us yeah. or us not being seen in a particular way and we want to make sure that they're okay. Yeah. But then we have these repressed ideas, thoughts, feelings, ways that we should be and we will seek that pleasure outside of the relationship because maybe being stuck in that relationship in that way and not expressing ourselves fully is bringing us pain. Yes. Greater the pain, greater the pleasure. And then statistically, there's a bit of like a, mis- a misfit within um, ourselves as a culture based off of some polls that I read before I came in here. Uh, I was looking into like David Buss and I was looking into, there's, cool. yeah, there's a handful of different people I was looking into. But one of the, the polls that I read was like on a, if, if people are asked whether, you know, infidelity or quote unquote cheating is like okay within a relationship, it's like 95% of people are like, no. Like definitely not. And then there's a few people like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. I'm not hurting anybody. And then, but then within that, it's like over a third of the people either have quote unquote cheated, you know, or presently are. And then something else that's interesting in in that as well. This came from, I think it was like something that Helen Fisher, the anthropologist suggested is accurate Mm -hmm. as well. There was a study in 1985 from two, I don't know, social scientists or something of the sort called Glass and Fisher. And their suggestion was over a third of women engaging in infidelity uh, were also in happy relationships, you know, which is also kind of an interesting thing where it's like, it wasn't even something where, oh my God, I'm not getting what I need. It's, it was just something I was like, oh, I just wanted something else. Those are kind of two separate directions. The mm-hmm. one thing that's, that's more interesting in relation to this line of thought is that is just how many people are kind of in this crossroads of what their idea of what's moralistically okay and like socially acceptable and acceptable through themselves or, or God or parents or, you know, whoever. And then what is actually truly in alignment with their, you know, their truest, deepest, most carnal self. Mm. And then, yeah, and then there's probably another road within that as well. You know, finding like a, a balance between the two. But the majority of people based off of these polls are in a state of friction based off of what they believe is morally correct and what they are actually mm. engaging in within their lives. So what do you do with that? Well, I would say what the, the friction comes from, what they believe to be morally correct is deeply influenced by our social constructs and social norms. You touched on something, you mentioned God a moment ago. When we look at religion and we look at Christianity, and what, what is there? I want to say 2 billion Christians? I don't know. Or thereabouts. Anyway, it's a billion plus, right? So, but in our Western society, Christianity as a religion, even as a spirituality, reigns supreme in terms of majority. Now, when you look at the narrative around that, it's making statements about what a relationship looks like. And so we're told by society, by by our leaders, by our family, by our communities, that this is what a relationship looks like. We also see it in our parents, Right? Whether, whether that relationship works well or not, they're married, they're meant to stay together, they're, me- they're meant to be together, they're meant to be faithful to each other. And so we're brought up with this, yet we may crave something different. We may crave a different kind of exploration. The interesting thing is, with that, is how true is that for every human being? I don't believe that there's a, um, a type of relationship container that is objectively accurate for us. whether it be monogamy, non-monogamy, and all the shades that that encompasses, right? Where I think we we struggle is that when we're told to be a particular way, we identify with that group. We identify with that ethos. Now we're part of an in-group. If we think differently to that, there's a threat of now we're in the out-group. So from an evolutionary standpoint, being in the out-group meant death. 
it meant we're not going to be around for much longer. So let me just be part of the group think. Let me just adhere to what the group says and what's right so I can be safe. Yeah. So we feel that in our nervous system. Like literally our 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 hormones start to change. We we activate a sympathetic nervous system response at the thought of Oh, what if I just announce to the world that I'm a homosexual? What if I announce to the world that, you know, these 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 quote unquote minority groups, or that I want to be in a polyamorous relationship, whatever it may be, whatever's on the fringe, right? Which is slowly changing these days. Like it's everything is less and less fringe, actually. Yeah. Probably a few different reasons for that, but that's a that's a good thing. It's a good thing from my perspective that we're demonizing difference less. That's a good thing. So we're becoming a little more accepting. I think maybe in some of the ways that we're doing that is a little extreme. It's like the pendulum swinging too hard both directions. Maybe a conversation for another time, but to be part of the out group or to be ex- to be exited from the in group is a really big thing. And if the majority of what the world, the Western world says is that in relationship, it needs to look like this, we're going to struggle to want to go out of that openly and publicly. That's why there's so much shadow sexuality. That's why prostitution will, will probably never go away. Yeah. When they say it's the oldest profession. That's why pornography, it's definitely here to stay. Yeah, that's what I said. Like the, like the, the reality of the human, it seems like a predicament in a way, is if you look at statistically the usage of porn, like uh, like the majority of the internet is pornographic. I think it's 97% or something. <laughs> Isn't that uncanny? And all of the places in the South, for example, it seems like whatever you say, it's pretty much the opposite, at least statistically speaking. I don't think that's the case with everyone. Sure. You know, but if someone has a strong aversion to something like, hell no, you know, no blacks or no whatever, like, well, check out their porn feed. You know, and it's, it's, so it's like the, the, yep. the internal friction of being a modern human, I think is just endlessly fascinating. So much. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know man. what to do with it, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't either. I guess, I guess the, the thing that I know what to do and I don't know if it's accurate. I know it feels really edgy, really challenging, but also really relieving is to go to the places within myself that are uncomfortable, mm-hmm. to have uncomfortable conversations to be willing to express not a contrarian view for the sake of being contrarian, but if I'm feeling something that is against the status quo, I want to sit with that. I want to not analyze it, but be with it long enough to connect with it and be in deeper communion with it and then bring that to the world if that's uncomfortable, if that goes against what the status quo is saying. I'm not, generally speaking, I'm not a, like I'm not a uh, controversial person, but if I'm feeling something that society says, oh, you shouldn't be feeling, you shouldn't be thinking that, but I'm thinking that, and that's the path I want to go. I want to say, fuck society. Like, I'm a bit of a rebel like that. And I think mm-hmm. we all have that archetype in us, by the way. We all have that rebel archetype. Yeah. We have to pull that thread a little more. I think we have to tap into that rebel a little more, but from a healthy place. And, and the way we do that is by building our own internal self-worth so that we can prepare ourselves for rejection or judgment or, or, or people in our lives that are important fixtures in our lives saying, wow, why are you shocking me with this change that you're now wanting to express or this idea that you're exploring? No, no, you can't. You have to be familiar to me because that brings up people's trauma. So we have to, ipso facto, work with our own traumas, build our own self-worth and then make decisions from that place as opposed to making decisions from, well, I'm going to be a rebel because uh, I was repressed when I was a kid, so now I'm going to do things differently. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I saw something earlier, this, this gentleman and no judgment, but judgment, we all judge, but 
he's basically has mutilated his face. He's chopped his ears off. Oh his, yeah, I saw that guy. Chopped his nose off. Very he's got tattoos. Yeah, all of his face has got all these things in uh, horns and so forth underneath his skin. Yeah. And I think about. It, I think that's pretty extreme. He's on the fringe. Maybe in some parallel universe, it's not extreme, but in our world, it's extreme. And I wonder, like, what has caused him to do that? Like, where, the place within himself, where that comes from. Because I saw a picture of him before that. Honestly, he's quite an attractive guy. Like, yeah. You know, where does it come from within him? Mm. So I think that that comes from, like, why we want to do something different, particularly in relation to relationship. It, it needs to come from a really healthy place. And in order to, to for it to come for a health, from a healthy place so that it's sustainable for us, we've got to do that in a work. Yeah. Last night, I was watching YouTube videos about Freud's five stages of psychosexual development in preparation for this um, slash just things in general. I think it's interesting. Yeah. And one of the things within that is age zero to three, I refer to that as the the anal phase of development. I've also heard it called oral phase, so I'm not actually sure how that goes. Uh, I'm not a psychoanalysis expert, as you can gather. Um, but during that time frame, it's big on potty training, which you have a child right now, so this is very poignant for you. Um, and so that's like, a, that's like a big stage for a human being, getting to that point of understanding how to like not poop and pee all over yourself or on the floor or wherever and actually be able to get up onto a toilet. I actually remember the first time I got onto a toilet. I was so excited. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was like telling every, you know, my mom, my brother was there. I don't have a lot of memories. I also smoked a lot of weed and drank a lot of Robitussin and various drugs as a teenager. And you still have all those good memories, (laughs) all those long-term memories. I drink a lot of Robitussin. You have a Robitrip? I have not. I know what it is. I've never Robitrip. No. It's a very interesting experience. Okay. Um, Did you get nauseous? Yeah, you get nauseous and then you like trip out for a few hours. Wow. Yeah, there's some okay. active. I don't know. I heard that with um, turmeric. If um, you have a big teaspoon, a tablespoon of turmeric, um, you'll vomit, but then. Yeah, I think cloves might be another like prison out. way to get high. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, we investigate all the prison ways to get high as a teenager. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I remember that experience of, you know, sitting up on the toilet and, you know, my brother, I don't think my brother cared that much. My mom cared a lot. Uh, and I was like telling everybody, I'm like, you know, naked on the toilet, like having a poop, you know, and I'm whatever age that would cheap. be like two years old or something. I don't know. Um, and so during that phase, you know, the mind of the child is very vulnerable and there's different ways that that can go with the parents. The parents can be very supportive, very nurturing, you know, very just like here for that experience. They could be, you know, maybe neglecting of them, you know, and shaming um, of they them could as be well. shaming of them, which the shaming aspect of it would lead to anal retentiveness. So it says Freud and psychoanalysis. So then you become very uptight, very, you know, like obsessive compulsive, perhaps very, you know, um, you know, just everything has to be a certain perfect order. Uh, and you become very obedient, mm. you know, and so you become a rule follower, which ultimately that can lead to being a bit like um, unfulfilled in your life. Uh, and then the other direction, if you're neglected, it would be that would go into anal expulsive, which it seems like more the way that, um, based on what you're saying, a little bit more more the way that you described yourself. Uh, promiscuity. Being, uh, what's that? Promiscuity. What's that? What about? Uh, what is promiscuity? No, no, no. How 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 promiscuity in relation to anal anal expulsive? Yes. Yeah. So promiscuity, but also like yeah, like a rebel. Um, also, oftentimes very artistic. Um, kind of thinking outside. It's kind of like you're more like fuck you. Mm. You're like okay, you're not gonna help me with with my with my 
my anal phase, fuck all of you. I don't need anybody. <laughs> figure it out myself. Yeah. And then eventually we can, I'm not going to talk through all of the phases. The next one goes into the, the phallic phase, which is like discovering your genitals that can lead into like the Oedipus complex thing. And as a, as a male, you can have like a competition with the father. If you're nurtured and supported by the father and he starts to kind of like really starts to share this empathy with each other. It's like, no, no, like I'm on your team. We're yeah. together in this. And you're like, you can see your son can see the world through your eyes. There's yeah. no competition for mother. That leads to healthy relationships. If not, it can lead to a lack of sensation of, of like your manlyhood. It can lead to a lot of like incessant competition. Mm. It can lead to infatuation with your mother or mother figure. And so this is the reason I'm saying all that. Thank you for listening. Is I'm kind of interested in setting the stage for, for myself and for other people of like, if you are in a situation where you're finding yourself yearning for something, but moralistically it's not okay and there's like friction there. I wonder if there's any path towards introspection and reflection and understanding like, okay, maybe some of these paths that aren't really serving my present relationship, maybe it goes all the way back to the anal phase or the oral yeah. phase of development yeah. or the phallic phase of development. And, you know, and then if that is the case, what the hell do I do with that? You know, a therapist would take you back into the past and work with that. And, and I really appreciate what you said around if there's a healthy bond with the father, as a, as a as a little boy say, even with a girl, but if there's a healthy bond with a father, that need for competition and alienation from other men and isolation from other men, it becomes lessened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's an interesting thing. Look at our society. Look at the byproduct of our society. Look at men. And I, I, mean, I mean men's work. So I have been for over a decade, right? Specifically men's work. And there are so many men that feel alone. So many men that feel they can't trust other men. Yeah. They are in competition with other men. They see other men as a threat. So can that come from that phase? Very much potentially. Yes, it can. And that completely disrupts one's, uh, not sexual orientation, but the way that they see themselves sexually. The, the thing, the desires that they have, they don't trust anyone. Because when you don't trust your father or your mother, that you deify and you pedestalize, because we do that as children. If you can't trust that, you're going to very much struggle to trust any human being. Mm. So a therapist is going to take you into the past and help you work through that in certain ways. A A healthy, good, attuned therapist will also be attuned to your nervous system through their own neuroception and help you release that somatically that trapped, that caught trauma, that, that loop that keeps, that, that you want to close the loop on that trauma, that I can't trust my father, therefore I can't trust any man or therefore I can't trust anyone and that's going to affect the way I choose myself sexually, intimately, emotionally and how I choose others as well. And then a, a coach per se is going to bring you into the future and, and help you decipher who you really want to be and what your life looks like moving forward and so forth. And so neither is, is wrong or right. I, I believe we need a combination of that and also what's happening in the present moment and teaching that individual to regulate their nervous system, to regulate their body so that the past doesn't continually inform the present choices that they're making. So I'm in agreement with looking at past patterns. I like looking at patterns. I think our brains are pattern recognizing machines. When I'm working with someone individually or in large groups, I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for patterns that serve them. So I'm hearing, I'm attending to listen to what are they saying they want, but what are they doing? And if there's a mismatch, which there is for most of us, there's a complete disconnect, especially when we're being very honest with each other. Then what are the patterns that are perpetuating that thing that you don't want and where the patterns coming from? And, you know, Christine, you know, Christine, my wife, she 
it's a, it's, I love this example. So imagine she gives this example. Imagine the thin gold chain in a in a drawer and with all your clothes or whatever, and you find it's all knotted up, right? And you're trying to undo all these knots just to make the chain long, and you can't you can't do it. But then you get to that one knot. It's like the original knot, and you undo that knot, and then all the other knots just untangle. Mm-hmm. Trauma is very similar to that. Like the inception of our trauma or our pain or even our belief systems. Don't even just trauma, just even the way that we do life. Like if we can get to the inception, the core of where that originated from and untangle that if it needs untangling, somatically, uh, cognitively, emotionally, then all the other knots that have happened after that, they can tend to untangle themselves in with greater efficacy. Mm. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, with, with respect to Freud, I, I'm not a fundamentalist. I, I, I look at his theorem and I think there's value in that. Mm. Is it the be all and end all? I don't, I don't think so. I think there's definitely value in that, especially from a developmental perspective. But then there's, there's Ericsson as well, there's Jung, not only from a developmental perspective, from an archetype perspective and how we integrate these ways of being, these possible ways of being in the world into our own bodies and into relationship, yep. which I think also affects how we choose to make decisions in relationship and, and, and how honest we are. That's, that's the big key is how honest we are in relationships. I'd like to take a moment and share a tool that I found to be very interesting and very supportive for negating the effects of EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. If you live in an apartment or a house with Wi-Fi or you have a cell phone or there's a 5G tower near your place, any of things of the sort, we are bioelectric organisms. It is immensely valuable to do things like just get outside, get near water, take your shoes off, go for a walk, get your feet in the ground. All of those are supportive for reducing things like inflammation, helping with tissue repair and things of the sort. And something else that you can do is you can integrate a Soma Vedic device into your home. What it does is it emits a harmonic field within 100 feet in all directions, penetrating through walls and floors, and is shown to be supportive with lowering blood pressure, uh, supporting heart rate variability, blood oxygen levels, cellular regeneration, and a lot more. It's a very cool device. There's a ton of research around it. And if you're interested in improving your own health and offsetting some of the deleterious effects of dirty electricity and EMF in your life, uh, I recommend giving this thing a shot. If you do not absolutely love it, if you do not feel a difference upon getting it, there is a 60 day money back guarantee. So you have absolutely nothing to lose. You grab this thing. If it makes you feel better, makes your family feel better, great. Uh, and if you do not notice a difference, there's a 60 day money back guarantee. There's a five year warranty and you can get a discount by going to somavedic.com and using the code ALIGN, A-L-I-G-N, at checkout for $20 off your purchase. This thing is cool, it is interesting. I'd recommend going to their site, checking out the science page to see some of the research they have on it. And if you do not feel a difference, there is a money back guarantee. So you got nothing to lose, you get $20 off your purchase. Jump over to somavedic, that's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com and then use promo code ALIGN for $20 off your purchase. I'm going to take a moment and share my absolute favorite quote-unquote biohack. It's not a biohack at all. It's just something that makes you feel incredibly well. It is not that easy to do. That is cold water thermogenesis, i.e. cold plunging. Um, I have been doing this for consistently for the last six to seven or so years now, and uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, It's something that I utilize for healing. 
for repair, restoration. Uh, it's great for energy levels. It's helpful for sleep. It's helpful just as an overall reset for your nervous system. Uh, it's great for metabolic function. It's great for actually converting your white fat into brown fat, which is more metabolically efficient. It is good stuff, and I think everybody ought to have themselves a cold plunge at their place. That is why I like Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is great because it is affordable. For one thing, it's the most affordable cold plunge out there. Uh, it is vertical, which is fantastic as well. So I have it sitting on a pretty small porch at my place presently. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's beautiful. It's got a little step. You walk up into it. It looks like kind of like a classic barrel, except it's black. And uh, it is cool. I think you guys are gonna dig it. You can get yourself $125 off your purchase. If you wanna try it yourself, you just jump over to icebarrel.com slash align. Icebarrel spelled I-C-E-B-A-R-R-E-L.com slash align. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, 100% satisfaction. If you do not love this thing, in your home, which I know that you will, uh, then you get your money back. No questions asked. Icebarrel.com slash align, $125 off your purchase. What is Jung's, have you read the book, um, King, what is it? King? Warrior, Magician, Lover. Warrior, Magician, Lover. Yes. What does that refer to in that? I, I read the book a couple years ago. It was one of my favorite books in the world. Now I don't actually remember all of that. Yeah, it just, it just refers, so Jung, Jung presented multiple archetypes and they were four. Um, yeah. So it was, I think it was Gillette Moore that wrote that book. Yeah, it was. And essentially those four archetypes are four archetypes that exist within men within all humans, but the focus was on men's because they were in the mythopoetic movement for men's work in the 70s, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And they were sort of pioneers in that space. And they took these four archetypes and they just elaborated on them. And they looked at the healthy expressions right. of these archetypes. Yeah, there's and like the light and the shadow of each, yeah. each version of it. Essentially, that that's it. And it, it is a powerful book, man. Super simple. It is quite profound. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so my my curiosity, I guess, is is within that. So cool, we, we're gathering, starting to gather information of okay, the way that I feel and my the filter that I perceive the world through. Um, it's perhaps or maybe absolutely or almost absolutely influenced from my childhood. It could be influenced from even like pre childhood. Yeah, you know, time in the womb. I'm like For bathing sure. in my mother's hormones and her experiences. That's yeah. like washing through. Yeah. my body as I'm I'm developing. Coming back even to like the idea of like who am I and who whose thoughts are these? I think is very interesting. And 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 then within that, it's coming into uh, within relationship with yourself or with friends or with a intimate partner. Being I think being able to come to a point of reducing judgment and really coming to a point where, where both parties are just curious, but that's like really, I think challenging and, and you know, can be very scary to come to a point of like, okay, like I'm actively going to pull my filters to the best of my capacity to see this, this experience from a neutral lens and see you from a neutral lens and see you as being a hurt little boy and a happy little boy and a scared little, like all of these things. And you do that for me. And I'm not going to impose all of my past hurts and traumas and fears onto you. And I'm going to, we're both going to try our damnedest to clean our mirrors or clean our glass the best that we possibly can. And I feel like if, if you can engage in, in that and just really say like, I, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I feel this way. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know whose thoughts are these. 
you know, and I'd like, I'd like to come into deeper levels of responsibility and awareness and ownership and sovereignty and all of that. But behind all of that, I think is there's also a part of like, I don't like what the hell is going on here. Isn't it easier just to go fuck someone new? (laughs) Relationships at work, man. So much effort. Right. Intimate relationships are so much effort. Yeah, that's the thing. I think the fuck someone new thing is there's a little bit of like a abort restart. You know, yeah. okay, all this. Okay, this is getting a little heavy. It's getting a little deep. Uh, okay, let's get out of that. <sighs> okay, cool. Yeah. We're back at the top. Yeah, we're addicted to the <sighs> the, the, the hormonal right, flush good. of the honeymoon phase. Yeah, limerence. Yeah. The limerence. I heard. Phase. I, I, I learned yeah. that word recently. Big yeah. fan. The limerence phase. New words like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what it is, right? Like we're, we're we are as a society so addicted to that. We're addicted to the highs. We really are. We we negate and we run away from the lows, like it's the plague. So then comes the question of is a closed container monogamous relationship is there some deep medicinal value in that yes and and going in and saying okay okay, i I, i'm i'm feeling all these compulsions to do this or that or message that person or whatever it may be i'm going to actively not do that and uh see what's behind this discomfort or see what's behind this compulsion or this addiction or whatever you want to call it yeah yeah i'll make a statement around that so from a biological perspective it's it's healthy to crave and desire and look at other people and go wow that person's attractive i would i'm drawn to have sex with them mm. fertilization driven sex helps us procreate right but then there's another hormonal profile that resides within us which is all around bonding behaviors and 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 our social interaction together and there's a really great book that that goes deep into this cupid's poison arrow if you haven't read it Mm-mm. do do yourself a favor i think you'll really enjoy it lots cool. of lots of science behind it uh, really interesting, really interesting. But a- outside of that, so I look at our evolution and I look at how we've come to where we are today as a society. And so we're very different and we're very similar to how we were. We have the advent of more complex language now compared to like you know hundreds of thousands or even millions of years ago when we were hominoids just sort of rummaging around, right? Our, our consciousness has expanded. Our social circles are far more complex and our social interactions are far more complex. We think very differently, I, I would imagine to how we once thought and saw the world we were way more in survival now we have the ability some of us not all of the world but the ability to contemplate very deep meaningful philosophical concepts do we exist who are we Ramana Maharshi who are you who am I that's it that was his mantra that was his ethos who am I Mm. you go and you figure that out Mm. so we, we, we have these these possibilities now so when we were probably growing as a species just have sex with anything and everyone right whatever we to procreate I always I always think about it. i think we had this conversation i always think about the the put all the all the conundrum around this aside but the the first woman to give birth so i know that could be a, an interesting statement to even say but just do you mean six thousand years ago yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> mother mary <laughs> <laughs> the best. Next that was question. 2033. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but just, just like the, 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 not the first, not even the first woman, just a woman that had never experienced that before, and then that baby exiting yeah. from her body. Like what? A, what a fucking trip, right? Yeah. So we we've experienced so much now, and so biologically we we have these urges, but socially we're very different. We're far more complex. There's more at risk. There's more psychosis in our society. I would say as well. Right, and as a result of that, we we wear different masks. Our personalities and the substructure of our personalities are far more intense, and just again, way more complex. So many layers to us. So I say all that to say that 
I I believe that monogamy or commitment to to one person and commitment to yourself in that relationship and commitment to that relationship is I want to be careful with my words here because I, I don't I'll just say I'll say it this way. It is a an advanced form of intimate relating. That's not to say that non-monogamy is not an advanced form of intimate relating either because the navigation required in, in multiple personalities as opposed to just two people, say three or four or five people, man, that's intense. Yeah, if you can manage it, it's very high-level communication. Big-time communication. Yeah. But I wonder about the intimacy on that. Now, I, I can't speak from direct experience that I've been in a an intimate, deep relationship where there have been multiple people involved and I've had to navigate that like at an emotionally intimate level not just sexual sexual yes different story though completely different emotional for a longer period of time I can't speak to that so I don't have that direct experience but just understanding human behavior and everything else around that on the periphery I can imagine that that would be very challenging and definitely enhanced communication but there is something to be said for if you make a commitment to not use sex or emotional intimacy as a distraction outside of a relationship container that you're in with that one person, how deep can you go with that one person? What, what, and what value does depth bring to your life? Mm. That doesn't mean you're going to stay with that person for the rest of your life. It just means that you're going to, until it maybe has a use-by date, if it does, which it would, whether that's you both die in, in a, in a in happy matrimony or you separate at some point. There's some serious value in that. That I can speak for directly. To make that choice and say, you know what, I'm going to stick around in this. I'm going to be really honest when it's very difficult to be honest. I'm not going to use distractions as a means to get away from this relationship or the lessons or the value or the expansion, the possible growth that's in this relationship. So I, I think there's there's some real value in that. I just don't think that most of society looks at a conventional, what's considered a conventional relationship through that lens. Mm. We look at it through the impressions because we're all full of impressions, right? We look at it through the impression of, well, society just says do that, so do it. It's come to my mind, it's almost like a like spiritual practice in a way, mm. like an austere practice. You Big know, time. So there's like a lot of value in fasting for some amount of time or I'm doing a darkness retreat in like a month and a half. And, awesome. You know, so I could say like my, my, my carnal desires yeah. and my primordial self probably loves circadian rhythm. You know, and it's very unnatural to go sit in a room for five days with yeah. no light yeah. and just be completely like confused in darkness, essentially yes. confused and probably like enlightened in certain capacities and you'd be, a, you know, probably a, a mishmash of experiences. Well, you if know. you want to be enlightened, be in a long-term relationship with someone, commit to them. I feel like it's, as you're describing it, it feels like one of the austere practices. One of, correct. And As then is that belittling it to call it an austere practice and does it need to be so austere? And then also within that, there's reading all my statistics and polls and stuff. Um, the, I, there, was an, there was an idea that, that um, within the marriages, one, infidelity happens to pop up based off of some stats I'm reading, going to like the, the, the David Buss stuff and all that. Uh, very common actually upon having kids. Uh, and then also another kind of like myth around infidelity is that they, they call this the, I think they call it the hydraulic pump theory. Learned this last night is that by you extending uh, your or one's sexuality outward, there's like a sexual like leak you could say. So now you're leaking energy that could go into this relationship. And now, so now your energy is you got leaky sexual energy. 
it's going all over the place. And now you don't have anything left for, for me, like the, the primary. I experienced that in previous relationships where I was and, cheating. And then the, the, the suggestion based off of some stuff that I was reading last night is that that's also, there can be another lens where by having the, and I don't have a dog in any race, by the way. I'm just, I'm just like en- endlessly curious. Yeah. Um, and I'm open to all the different perspectives. And I think, you know, it's just interesting understanding human psychology and anthropology and evolution, all that stuff. Um, but the, within that, the, the myth would be that that is the case. You have like only a, a defined amount of love, a defined amount of sexual energy. And then the suggestion based off the stats that I was reading within like the David Buss and the various different places was that it can also act in the reverse where it actually stimulates your sexual drive and your libido because you have this new excitement. So now you're just generally more excited because there is this variability and this like this newness and this limerence that's happening and this freedom or, or perceived freedom within your monogamish relationship in this case. If there's agreements there, yeah. Which ends up coming back to having greater libido for your primary partner. Sure. So it's like, it's just so nuanced. Big time. That's why, but it is right. And and you you asked earlier around is it an austere practice and 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 it's a yes and like it's both. It's it can be an austere practice. It can be an austere practice. And it can just be us being human, doing human things, and and so and there's two realities there. So one reality is uh, I'm cheating on my partner and I have a potential sex compulsion, sex addiction, love addiction potentially, right? Yeah. And I'm bringing that novelty back into the relationship and we're having awesome sex as well but she doesn't know that I'm cheating she doesn't know that I'm with other people so there's an element of reality where we're having great sex we're really connected but I'm also being really dishonest and if she found out that I was being dishonest if she was aware of that how would she then relate to me so these multiple converging realities that are coming together and I think Jesus said this if Jesus existed pardon to all the uh (laughs) the Christians out there. But if he existed, and I believe he said this, the truth shall set you free. Mm-hmm. There's great presence in that statement and it's very difficult for most people. And here's another thing I'll say on statistics, right? And I, and I love this. I respect David Buss big time. I think he's here in Texas, in Austin. I believe so. I yeah. don't know if he's in Austin, but he's in Texas, I believe. He might be in Austin. I think he he's is. in Austin. Yeah, I actually want to meet him and spend some time with him because yeah. I, I really, I've read a few of his books. I, I think he's cool. Anyway, here's the thing. Who are they uh, polling? Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 No, not, that's what I'm saying. And, 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 and then there's also a bias within research and all of that. And it's sure. Very small I, even put that aside. And then, but then also within who, who are, you know, quote unquote, they polling, the other aspect of it that's really challenging with that is most people have shame around like their internal experience Big time. or their, their actual actions that aren't, aren't acceptable. Big so time. they're in denial of themselves. So when you're filling out whatever bullshit poll, like there's, you got to take all of that with a grain of salt. And most of the stuff that I mentioned, by the way, wasn't conducted by Bus and his his lab. It was sure. just random different sure, things sure. that was gathered from different places. Um, but yeah, statistics like that are very challenging because there is a lot of self deception within that that turns into outer deception. And there's a lot of wounded people out there yeah. that that aren't really self aware to to be even exploring them. Sexuality is such a loaded. It's it's so paradoxical in our society. We need it to survive, sex, essentially. Well, we don't... At a species level. As a species level. At a species level, It's really healthy, too. So, you could say that. Yeah, sure. Well, it's it's a form of intimacy. It's not the only form of intimacy, but it's a form of intimacy. Yeah. And so, we need it, and we crave it, yet society shuns it. 
Yeah, it's awkward. It's really awkward, man. It's very uncomfortable. It, it just forces. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. But then we just blow it out on the porn. Big time. We <laughs> all, all in. in the shadow. Nobody's watching. Amazing. All in the shadow. <laughs> all in the shadow. It fucks us, literally and figuratively. Yeah. And we're we're possessed by it and we're controlled by it. I yeah. think that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that affects the way that we're honest with each other and honest with other people. Mm-hmm. And we don't really, I'm coming back sort of little full circle here. We're not really honest with what we desire. We're just placating ourselves and others. Say, oh, well, that's what they expect or that's what they want. I'll just tell them what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I'll just be what I want and do what I want. I mean, in the back, in the shadows, in the background. Mm. We live in a world where, I mean, think about this, man. Our nervous systems are not attuned to the amount of stimulus that we have in the world today. Think about how much stimulus we have. I was thinking about this just driving. When I drive, I'm driving at 50 miles an hour. I'm seeing all these things. Just look at that stimulus. I go on the computer. Let's just say I want to go on a dating app, uh, Hinge, Tinder, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? I've got access to thousands of women just like that. Yeah. That's fucking unheard of. Yeah. It's called um, super normal stimuli. Normal, and, yeah. super, super like on top. It's like, whoa. It's the same thing. There's, there's, sorry for interrupting, but no, this, no, is no. An inter- this, this is another really interesting space, you could say, or direction. Mm. There's, you see this, there's been lots of research of super normal stimuli done within nature. Uh, one is called the, the long tailed um, widow bird, I believe is what it's called. And it has a long tail. And, I think the males have the long tails, I believe, and the females are attracted to them. I might be mixing that up. Um, but what the, the researchers found was typically the females are attracted to the males with the long tails, the longest tail. That's like the, you know, like the peacock feathers. It's like, oh, my God, they have resources. They're like biologically <laughs> well, well off, essentially. Uh, so I really want to find myself a, a long-tailed widow bird. What they found is they artificially cut the tails shorter and then artificially gave them these, these huge 12 inch dong tails, you know, making up the dong part, but just like these huge tails, it'd be more, less dong, more like huge, like Lamborghini tails, you know, or huge house tails or yeah. whatever, um, penthouse sweet tails. Um, and so they gave them these long tails and they, there's tons of research with other animals like this, but of course they, they like fooled nature in that way. And suddenly the birds were all attracted to these artificially lengthened tails and it's such an interesting world that we live in where we have artificially um, lengthened tails, you could say, or artificially, um, artificial foods that are built to be more flavorful than typical, mm-hmm. to reduce satiety, to keep us coming back for it. It's essentially porn in a lot of ways as well. Uh, our whole world, we're, humans are so smart. And so we're working on hacking our own psychology, and then we end up building a world where we've hacked our psychology to sell a product, what it is, get, you know, garner attention, and then that becomes our world. Or so we're now we're totally saturated in super normal stimuli, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just is a thing. You know, we're we're tricked very regularly. Good or bad, or healthy or unhealthy, or desirable or undesirable, in reference to what though? I, I think it, at some level, it's productive and it, and it serves something for the society that we live in. I don't know if, I mean, from an adaptive perspective, maybe it's enhancing our brains. I don't know. Yeah. From another perspective, I don't know if it is that healthy. I think it's it's too much choice. It's the illusion of having access to that choice, but yeah. that's not the reality, though. Right. Like we, I can look at 
a woman on a screen and swipe or say yes or whatever the fuck I want to do. But what does that actually mean? Like all I'm doing is just stimulating my dopamine pathways in anticipation of potentially meeting this person or doing whatever I'm envisioning to do with this person or be with this person. And I'm wearing myself out. So I would even say that from a longevity perspective, I'm burning out quicker because we're so overstimulated. I would say that right. physiologically, and you'd probably be a better person to answer this, but physiologically, are we not, we're a finite physical 3D being, are we not wearing ourselves out through overstimulus? All the, all the different energy pathways that we have? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like two sides of the coin. You need equal amounts of rest and introspection and ease. Yeah. But if you're literally or metaphorically, you know, on your cell phone getting blasted by supernormal blue light, scrolling through hinge or instagram or whatever looking at at super normal butt implants and boob implants and which we then think is normal botox that's how it should be yeah and then filters on top of that which there's like there's like Man. i don't remember what's called it's like tiktok filter syndrome or something like sure. that where girls start having this body dysmorphia or guys have have body dysmorphia based off of the filters i need to match that filter so you see yourself as the filter that becomes your identity or like your desired identity and then when you come out of the filter it's like oh it's again more friction. It's like more self-deception. Big time. And then when you meet you meet that person and it's not in in flesh and they don't meet your expectations, you've got this disappointment, but then you've built up this story about who they are, so you still maybe want to fuck them or you still want to be intimate with them. Yeah. But you don't know if you should be because you're not really seeing what you're seeing and you've got your own filters and they're probably feeling the same way and then do you be honest or do you be dishonest and just continue the, and so you at some level you're just dishonoring yourself yeah and that becomes a habit and becomes a practice that then becomes your life and so we're, we're walking around in the world fractured and broken we're not that but we feel that way because we're not being the fullness of ourselves because we're hiding and so imagine you've got billions of people doing that I, I look at life from a not only through this lens, but through just in this moment, through the lens of like it's collective evolution. Man, I don't, I don't think we're evolving very rapidly or at any at any pace. If we're all, not all, but if most of us are just are hiding that ace consistently. Yeah, I think we're sacrificing the self for for the the species or the whole. So like the, at an individual, like animal, human animal. Modern human animal compared to a human animal, say, 12,000 years ago, is dog shit. <laughs> like, they're going to lose every race. that You put them out in, in any situation, they're just going to die. You know, they're going to figure out where's, where do I get water, where do I got food. Oh, there's a storm coming. What does that mean? Oh, it's getting cold. Like, they just are just, just nothing. I'm just, I just am waiting for, like, some Ugg boots and someone to manufacture me a jacket from China. And Perfect. I can just, like, swipe my credit card and, like, 100%. Ah, Very adept to the environment. <laughs> <laughs> but at a species level where we smashed the guy from 12,000 years ago. So that's, I think there's a bit of a trade-off, you know, where, where it's like at a species level, like humanity, our ability to communicate and build off past knowledge and past information and writing and now like digital and all that stuff, we can build this huge, immense matrix of information and be able to create spaceships and all the things. But I think it's to the to the, the, the sacrifice of the individual, which doesn't really relate to cheating so much. Or, I mean, there's probably some avenues back into that. But I can ask a question about cheating, if, if uh, unless you want to say anything about that. My, my comment to that would be range. And so I don't, I don't, 
I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, we need to be like how we were 12,000 years ago and technology's fucked or yeah. forget about how we were and we need to we need to focus on innovation and technology. I, I think we need all of it. Yeah, Range. It's yeah, it's, bo- it's both yeah. and everything in between and everything on the outside of that that we haven't even discovered yet or aren't even familiar with, you know? It's yeah. just, I, I, I think we're such multifaceted, robust beings that even when we're talking about intimacy and sexuality and relationships, we don't spend enough time, this is just pragmatic guidance, we don't spend enough time in singledom exploring our sexual fantasies and sexual desires with ourselves. Mm. And I'm not just referring to masturbation, I'm referring to how we see ourselves, identifying our likes and dislikes in, in relationship to sexual exploration that that is not leveraged so high that it doesn't come with such high risk, like such emotional, intimate connection and, and commitment, right? Yeah. And so I'm not saying, I'll oh, just go and have sex with anyone you want and have casual sex, but I also am saying that. I'm also saying practice celibacy. It's been a deep, deep tool of, uh, first, it's been a profound practice for me. It's been a deep tool of exploration and I have matured so much from it. Mm. But practice all the things. We don't spend enough time with ourselves before we settle into a longer term relation. We just do it because society says we should or because we want to fill a, a void within ourselves or we feel empty and so we're externally seeking validation. You know, you spoke about the father earlier. It's that, that young child that wants validation from, a, from his or her father and so everything they do in the world is an unconscious extension of that. Everything. The friendships, the career, the sports, the achievements, like all of it. It's like, I just want validation from my father. And if I can't, I'm going to get it it's unconscious. I'm going to get it in all these different areas. And so instead of filling that void for the sake of filling that void, get to know who we really are. But that, you mentioned this earlier as well, courage. That requires so much courage to explore ourselves and be okay with what we discover. Mm-hmm. Like be, be, be in communion and love with who we actually are, in, in non-judgment and empathy with ourselves. We're not really taught how to do that, especially men. Yeah. Men are definitely not taught self-love. So what would be the actionable tips or tools or resources for a person that say a guy or girl um, that's in a relationship and they are struggling to maintain like absolute monogamy in the sense of absolute just like let's say there's there's no no sexiness engagement no texts no cyber something or another internally struggling yeah yeah, and it's like, oh, man, like that girl at the gym is so cute. Like I'd love to be able to like flirt with her or you're out at a bar or something and it's like, oh, this is fun, you know, and just feeling like, you know, feeling sexy with somebody else or just whatever your version that sure. goes against whatever your version of relationship, but just a like more austere end of monogamy. Yeah. How does a person navigate that, male or female, if they are feeling guilted, they're feeling ashamed, they're feeling... Like, oh, I don't want, I don't really love that part of myself. Mm. You know, how do I, how do I gain relationship with that or purge that or whatever the language is? How do I come into relation with that? Within the, within relationship. And they're in relationship with someone else, right? Yeah. Yeah. So first thing is we need to attend to our own nervous system. So we need to do our own inner work. And, And what that looks like is when we are feeling the guilt and shame and any big emotions or anything that feels unresolved within us, it's, it's our, I would say it's our duty as a human being to be self-reflective, to take responsibility and hold in deep ownership and reverence what we're experiencing in the world. And so that may look like working with a coach or a counselor or a therapist and exploring these things in a safe space where you're not going to be judged, where you're, where you're going to be met with compassion, where your nervous system can relax and you can actually be truthful potentially for the first time in your life. Mm. Once you're in the pattern of that and you're more comfortable with yourself, 
my invitation is to speak to your partner and say, hey, are these are the agreements that are maybe unspoken or spoken in our relationship. And what I'm noticing, after you're very clear on what you're, what you're wanting, hey, I just want to flirt. Is this okay in our relationship? It's okay for, can we experience this? I'm, I'm okay for you to do it too. I don't know what it's going to feel like, but this is something that I want to do. Now, again, there's big risk in that because your partner may feel rejected. Their stuff may come up. Their old childhood stuff may come up. Their feelings of the previous relationship they were in where their partner cheated, that may all flood them and they may meet you with defense and attack and now you're feeling shamed again. So if you're not ready for that potential blow up, then you're just going to go back to old patterns, withdrawing, hiding, holding. Yeah, you're so, like go back from the shadow. Exactly. You're like hide. That's why you've got to do that in a work where you're building enough confidence and self-worth where you can, I said, nurturing your own nervous system. The next part is prioritizing the nervous system of your partner. So if you bring them this big truth and you've been together for two or three years or four years and now you're bringing them this truth that, hey, I'd like to explore what flirting looks like in our relationship. I don't want to have sex. I just want to flirt. I just want to be able to talk to another woman. I want to be able to talk to another man, whatever it is. How do you feel about that? And your partner reacts and they become defensive and threatened and all of the things. Now, can you prioritize their nervous system? Can you see their seven-year-old little girl in them? And know that they're coming because now in order to do that, you have to know each other's history. This is really important in intimate relationships. Don't just get into a relationship and don't know fuck all about each other. <laughs> no, know what they, where they've been, what they've experienced, their pains, their shame, the, the traumas they hold, the things that are very sensitive and nervous to them. So when you can see that and you can see that little girl, you know, regressing, that, that woman regressing and be, feeling threatened, you can be calm and say whatever you need to say. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel this way. I don't want to break up. I'm here with you. I see you. I hold you. I love you. Like reassuring words, whatever those words are that you think she needs. I'll just use a male, female example, right? So I don't have to keep chopping back and forth. And help her regulate her nervous system. When the time for explanation comes, it will come. But they've got to be continuous discussions. But here's the thing. What's the alternative? Like, what's the alternative? You just hold that shit in? The alter- other alternative is, I don't think my partner can hold my truth, so I'll just break up with them anyway and just go do what I want to do and flirt and be single, whatever. If that's your truth, you could do that too. But are you doing it because you don't want to have a difficult conversation or you're scared of an outcome and you're scared of the blow up or are you doing it because you genuinely don't want to be with your partner anymore? Yeah. So these honest conversations are really important. Prioritizing your partner's nervous system, prioritizing your own nervous system, using tools such as the Imago Dialogue or NVC as communication tools to really listen to each other and feel each other and understand each other, at least it's a, it's a stronger attempt to understand each other, can be very useful as well. And they help keep you grounded and regulated so you're not in panic mode and therefore you're not going into old protective patterns and strategies that are really keeping the wolves at bay. Right? You, you feel threatened by what this person's saying, I'm going to be defensive, I'm either going to stonewall and shut down, I'm going to become hyper-aggressive or whatever it may be. So that's where I would start. My absolute favorite beverages for an afternoon pick-me-up. Really amazing for reducing stress, feeling calm, feeling at ease, uh, placing myself into a restorative state, also with clarity and energy. That is Organifi Green Juice. I drop a couple scoops of that into a blender, throw a couple ice cubes in there, blend it up. That is it. That is all. It tastes absolutely amazing. Love sharing it with friends. And uh, it's just a, a brilliant blend for a little energetic support in the afternoon. You can take it anytime, but I usually take it in the afternoon. Uh, so I highly recommend this stuff. If you want to get yourself a 20% discount, then you can jump over to Organifi 
o-r-g-a-n-i-f-i.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align. 20% is a fantastic discount. Um, they have a 100% money back guarantee if you're not completely beyond satisfied with the product. I am completely confident you guys are going to really dig Organifi Green Juice. It is a fantastic way to cover your bases from a vitamin, mineral, and antioxidant perspective. So jump over to Organifi.com slash align for 20% off. I'd like to take a moment and share a little bit about magnesium. If you're taking magnesium, there is a good chance you're flushing a good chunk of it down the toilet. I mean that literally you see the most common type of magnesium is actually used as a laxative. So if you're taking it, you're literally pooping and peeing it out, which means 80% of Americans who are magnesium deficient could actually be making their deficiency worse if they're taking the wrong type of magnesium. The worst part about magnesium deficiency is how it affects almost every aspect of our health. Your metabolism suffers, you can't lose weight, your blood pressure goes up, and on top of all that, or congruently with that, sleep will also be suffering. I have a solution that I'm very excited about, is referred to as Mag Breakthrough. It is my go-to magnesium supplement, and I highly recommend it to anyone. It's a full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually absorb. And this month, they're including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products on select orders while supplies last. That means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive system. Having an optimized digestive system means less energy trying to digest foods and absorbing more nutrients from the food you eat. This special offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com slash align podcast. If you are not completely 100% satisfied with the Mag Breakthrough, then they offer you full 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. You guys are going to love this stuff. It is my favorite magnesium supplement. I think you guys are going to dig it. Hope you enjoy magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast for 10% off. I think something that, that can be challenging for me and probably other people would be differentiating I mean, it comes back to like essentially the, the, the theme of this whole conversation, which is like, what is uh, quote unquote normal, you know, for a, for a human, for the human predicament, you know, here, we're just like, what the hell is going on here? And, you know, so if you're having some type of urge or inclination or something, what is a compulsion? What is an addiction? What is in like the bad bucket and what is your truth? Mm. How do you discern between the yeah, two? Yeah, how do you discern yeah. between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me just come back to something as well in terms of some more practical tools. that I mentioned regulation of the nervous system. Yes, we can do that through our words and the things that we say, but we can also do it through our tone by slowing down our speech, by slowing down our breath. Slow. Like slow is really smooth for us so that their nervous system is picking up on that and their nervous system then says to themselves, this person's safe. Mm. They're slowing down. Maybe a hand on their hand. I'm here with you. I see you. I'm also got, confirming that you're anywhere. safe for yourself. Big time. You're tuning time. your own nervous system. Big time. So so tone, pitch, pace, gentle touch. This is the nurturance canal here. You know, placing a hand on your own self, placing a hand on your partner when you're when you're in this communication. I've never heard that term nurturance canal. What does that mean? Nurturance canal. So from from here to about here, the frontal plane of the body, when we make gentle touch 
with this, ideally, you know, skin to skin, right? Yeah. Anywhere on this nurturance canal, we're communicating through the vagus nerve into certain areas of our brain that are letting us know we're safe, mm. essentially. Mm. Uh, especially when we uh, couple that with slow breathing. And, you know, you mentioned this earlier in, your, in one of your programs about the... Uh, eyes and yeah. how important the eyes are for minimizing our threat through this the largest threat funnel we have right well maybe our skin's our largest threat funnel both the yeah, big big threat them. funnels yeah so is is you know like gazing into the distance and 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 being expanded in our view right not being hyper focused because that's going to stimulate a, a certain nervous system response like all of that that there can be deeply healing and deeply helpful in those moments so back to your other question discernment between what's Say again? Addiction, compulsion, you know, call it shadow and what you truly or desire. dark. And then what is actually like, oh, no, no, that's that's just yeah. really quite honest and yeah. quite like that. It would be kind Genuine of... Genuine exploration. Yeah, it'd be strange for that to not be the case. Yeah. And so that's, I think that is the, a part of it, I keep saying like the human predicament, but like I think that is a big part of the human relational predicament of mm-hmm. like, how do we know what's what? Because there's so many stories and you go to one country and it's polyandry and you go to another it's polygamy you go to another you know then you go to la it's monogamish you go to this it's like in new york or it's you know whatever it's like it's very strange yeah yeah it, so it parsi- is. parsing that out like what is truth and what is compulsion yeah and it's often not easy to do that it's not e- easy to discern and this is where having a very solid foundation with self high self-worth confidence in self allows us to discern at greater capacities but here's the one thing i would say to that i'm probably maybe there's a few things i'll say but the first thing i would say is this is it coming from a place of compensation so you need to be self-aware enough to know that this thing that you desire you've got to be really honest with yourself you've got to practice being honest with yourself to be to know if you're being honest with yourself Mm. but this thing that you desire is it running away from something that's underneath is there a sadness or a fear that you hold? And so you're moving to food or TV or heroin or whatever to escape that? Is it an escapism and a, and a compensatory strategy? Or is it a genuine curiosity? You know, you're not hiding from anything. You're aware of your core wounds and traumas. You're aware of your proclivities. You're aware of your patterns, your internal personality patterns and emotional patterns and coping strategies. And you're genuinely curious about being different in your relationship or whatever it is that you want to explore, right? But if it's escapism and compensatory, more than likely it's an addiction or a compulsion. And addictions and compulsions are not the enemies. They're protectors within us. They're attempting to help us feel safe and avoid very deep pain. And when we meet those parts of ourselves in that way, with greater compassion and non-judgment, we start to open up the door towards deeper healing and expansion. And that's where we can then develop a more keen discernment for the choices that we're making in life and to be able to actually navigate that with yourself or in relation it takes a lot of minimizing or reducing of the judgment and it's like the self-judgment can be you know as much or or greater than that of the partner and then the partner could magnify or could decrease but if you're coming from that lens of of judging yourself then inevitably you know, you're, the, the, these complexes and patterns and all of those parts, they're very intelligent, you know, and I think they, they want to live. Yes, they do. And so if they, they do, get, they still have a place in your life. Exactly. And so, and so it's if they have a, but if there is a threat to extinguish said complexes, patterns, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of 
like anthropomorphizing them in a way yeah. like they're yeah. like, like they're like these, these entities in a sense which maybe you could go it's to like useful. gestalt therapy or something like that where you like put that part of yourself yeah. into Turn a pillow and talk systems, to it yeah. or whatever but i think that within their intelligence if they feel uh accepted and feel like there's it's a safe place to like kind of come out and like okay like you're not gonna kill me you know and it's like okay like maybe there's something it wants to say yes you know yeah. and so i think that that's but to be in a place where you're actually an individual that's able to hold that for yourself or for another person uh you know it's advanced it is and i think one of the ways that we're able to do that is by surrounding ourselves with people that are safe and that are non-judgmental Right, and so if you can bring, and, and that's why sometimes you know sacrament and medicine journeys allow us to drop our masks and inhibitions, and we set the container up that it's a safe place, and we're able to express and explore notions within ourselves and within our friendship circles or within our relationships that we couldn't previously do. Right, and so when we surround ourselves with friends that see us, and so for example, if there's an issue that I have with one of my friends and I'm able to communicate that and not project and not come from a place of attack and my friend or the person that I'm with in intimate relating meets me with curiosity and openness and non-judgment, that's healing. That's showing me how to do that with myself as well. Yeah. Because that's often the tough part is to do it with ourselves. So who we, who we spend our time with, it really, really matters. And the more vulnerable we can be and the more open we can be where we're not judged for our expression, that's deeply healing. How does a person cultivate that within themselves if it's too painful, too hard, too scary to be a person that's able to listen to, in this case, we're talking about a very specific thing, like one partner feeling a certain way, male or female? And there, it's just, it's, it's too aggravating for their nervous system to be able to listen in a non-judgmental, non-threatened, non-past, complexed, patterned way and bringing all the past into that moment and having the defenses come up. Um, what's the, the process for that? And maybe the process is you guys aren't right to be for each other because you're just too, it's too triggering. That's one option, yeah. We, so, so, you know, your partner's going to come with you with certain suitcases. And in those suitcases, it's their life story, their baggage, their trauma, their highs, their lows, all of that. You've got to determine whether the baggage they're coming with matches your baggage mm. and whether you want to travel with them or not, mm. you know? And so that's, that, it could be that that person is simply not in a space to be able to receive either that person's very specific set of pain or fears or trauma or whatever, or just in general, they need to be in single room and they need to do that deeper inner work on themselves without the pressure of being in an intimate relationship. How we then, you know, develop that quote unquote somatic body to be able to hold that is obviously practice. So if you're very clear you want to be in the relationship and you're very clear that this relationship has something to teach you and you want to be with that person, you care for them and you and you love them and all those things, then you've got to take responsibility and also set agreements with how that person presents to you their stuff. Like, when's it going to be most optimal for you to be able to receive them? And you've got to know that within yourself. So again, working with a coach, a therapist, a guide, someone that can help you navigate and help you see the forest through the trees can be very, very useful. 
but the agreements, just come back to some simple agreements that you both make in terms of how do we argue, how do we communicate difficulties, how do we communicate challenges, how do we communicate needs, what are our needs in relationship, mm. what does that look like, what are our safe words in relationship. But there's a, there's a myriad of, dis, of, of conversation that takes place where we get to know each other in deeper ways and in doing so, we're able to grow out of old patterns. That's a very interesting thing, the... the having agreements around how do we argue big time that's pretty good yeah because i think it's it's easy to to set rules of like okay you can't bang any dudes sure no penetration you're like okay reasonable you know i get that you know or you can't whatever you know you know texting past lovers or something it's like okay i get that yeah um so those are, I think, are very like apparent. Like if you were making some some rule book, you'd be like, okay, like these things. But that I think is is probably swept under the the rug more often than not. Actually, having it's a cool we can we can create a a, a rule book that we're going to follow. But how do we communicate? Yeah, ritual around that. Yeah, how and, do we argue when we're disagreeing? Like, and when we're in the heat of that situation, are we? I don't know, sovereign enough within ourselves or, or grounded enough within ourselves or resource within our, uh, within ourselves to, to be able to come back of like, Oh yeah, like we did have these rules of how we communicate and now I'm hot and all the rules are out the window. Yeah. That's very interesting. Christine and I have two, th- well, we have a few things, but two prominent things that we do is this hands up in the air, fists close. And mm-hmm. what that represents is that we're Black power. <laughs> not quite <laughs> not quite close but not quite um, it re- well maybe it represents unity so, Yeah, it represents <laughs> unity that's for sure um, it, it represents that we're in this together and we're in this for the long haul yeah. right, that's really what it represents <laughs> unity you know and then we've got you guys actually do you put a fuck yeah hand up in the air when it's getting too heated like if she's it's more me it's <laughs> <laughs> And I can self-check as well. Oh. Um, if I'm getting too reactive and loud. She puts her hand up in the air? Yeah. Wow. Haven't done it for a while, but yeah. Interesting. Haven't needed to do it for a while or both actually. We haven't needed to do it for a while and then when we probably should have done it, we got too caught up in the whirlpool yeah, I could of reactivity. See if it's getting hot, be like, you know, fuck your BLM hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to fucking argue. Yes. <laughs> fucking oath. <laughs> and then we have another word, sourdough. Oh, sourdough. It's a bit random, you know. Safe, I like sourdough. Word. Yeah. You like sourdough? Oh yeah, big fan. Yeah, yeah a, lot, fan. a lot of sourdough. There was yeah. a bre- there was a bread time story mm. back in Fremantle in Australia. I like she that. made the best fucking bread, mm. bro. The best. Mm. I would slather butter that thick on it. Just, oh, that sounds nice. Oh, man, yeah, it was the, the best. The good old days. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hand up in the air, um, sourdough. But we have agreements with how we argue and how we want to engage in conflict and how we want to treat each other during that time. And and I'll be honest, man, it doesn't always go to plan, but the intention's there and it does go to plan sometimes. And and it's part of, you know, another strategy as well, and, and this is from the Gottman Institute, and this is a really great tool for conflict management, is if you're in conflict and you see that it's escalating to a point where what you're both saying is becoming redundant now and coming from a reactive place, Go for a walk separately. Listen to a podcast on something funny. Watch a YouTube thing. Read a book. Spend at least 60 minutes away from each other. Two to, one to three hours. Then come back and communicate from that place. Like let the nervous system settle down. So the research that the Gottman Institute has done is that that is super, super effective. And we're talking about, I don't know if it was a longitudinal study, but thousands of people were studied through this process. And so I respect 
you know you're familiar with the Gottman. Very. Gottman John well, Gottman. not very, yeah, but yeah, yeah, big yeah, fan. yeah, big fan, man. So uh, he's got that much credibility now for me. He's like, I'll look into whatever he says and I'll and I'll critically think about it. But there's a lot of trust there as well, right? Um, so that's a really cool tool to implement is create space, but yep. be deliberate because if you've got someone that has a say uh, insecure attachment style that is still progressing in their adult lives there needs to be a boundary or a time frame around that. Otherwise they may start becoming even more and more anxious. Mm. Right. So just things to be mindful. But again, these are all agreements that you put into place when There's, you're in a healthy state. And also within the habituation of things. So the Gottman Institute or John Gottman and what is his, his wife's name? John and John and I want to say Susie or I'm completely yeah. wrong with that. Anyways, the Gottman Institute, one of the things they have, the, I don't remember what they are exactly, but it's the, the four horsemen yes. of like, I don't know, destructive communication. I made the, the last Criticism, part stonewalling, I have it written on my phone. Anyways, we can, we can look it up. But the <laughs> yeah. four horsemen. But with, within now. that, essentially, it's like it's like projecting contempt for your partner. That's, or, that's or, another or, one. Contempt or, 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 or yeah. disgust. Yeah, there is, there is disgust, contempt. Yeah. Uh, stonewalling and criticism. See that? The four horsemen. Teamwork. That's that's a sexual connection. That was a sexual. That was a <laughs> sexual <laughs> connection. That's exactly right. Comes in many forms, <laughs> yeah. my friend. Yeah, I felt it. Um, but within that, I think the habituation of the way you argue or the way you communicate, even the idea of argue, I think that's kind of a, a misaligned word in a way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is how we argue. It's like, well, what? Maybe we don't argue, you know. And if we do, that's okay. But maybe like that's not necessarily. Maybe there's there's better, more effective language for it other than argue. Maybe it's communicate. Maybe communicate yeah. You know. Yeah. Communicate hard things. Yeah. You know, have hard conversations. But the 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 habitual nature of communication, I think that, you know, within the, the Gottman stuff, they would suggest that, you know, within whatever the thing is, if they're having a, a therapy appointment with a couple within 15 minutes or something like that, they can determine with 92%, some of these numbers I'm kind of filling in, accuracy, whether they're going to get a divorce or not, based yeah. off of how many of these four horsemen. Essentially, if you show disgust or contempt for your partner in conversation, you're rolling your eyes, you're like, ugh, you're looking away, you're like, ugh, you know, you, any of that. Very low likelihood you guys are going to stay together, based off of their research. Yeah, you know, and I, I have a, I, I shared a thing from Jordan Peterson recently where he's essentially recapitulating that same idea and saying it's like you're, you're when you're rolling your eyes, you're like picking the person up off of the ground and dropping them into the trash can. It's a really good analogy. It's pretty interesting. Mm. You know, and so I, I think within that, and I, we can we can wrap up soon because I know you want to you need to get back to your relationship and your your child and stuff. So I appreciate you making time to do this. Of course, but that I think is just something that's very valuable to engage with, at least as an idea, and perhaps something to implement into a relationship with anyone is having some type of like routinized practices with um, the way that we communicate, having something to come back to, and then also being able to kind of self audit in a way of like, do I habitually engage in any contemptuous communication styles? And is that like my style? And maybe there's something to do with that. that if that, if there is, if I give a dang about being in relationships, because if I just habitually communicate in this contemptuous way, anytime I feel threatened, you know, there could be something to work on there. Self auditing is something that we don't do enough of as a collective. And the question of, if I want to be in this kind of relationship is also something we don't contemplate enough. Mm. What I mean by that is we just, we're, we're just led by, we're reactive in life, man. Yeah. Like I really, I look at the world around me. I'm a very keen observer of human nature and, and macro and micro systems, right? 
And I just see us so often being very reactive. We're just doing what comes to us as opposed to being more deliberate with even the relationships that we get into. Oh, we'll just get into that because it's convenient. Or we'll get into that because, uh, you know, the sex was good on the first night. But are you talking about how you want to discuss difficult matters? Are you talking about what your highest values are? Are you talking about what your sexual fantasies are? Are you talking about your relationship with your parents? Because it does form so much of who you are as an adult, right? Like, how does, how does my pain or my shit match your shit? And how does my excitement match your excitement for life as well? Like all of it, the celebration and the, the muck, right? The lotus flower is really beautiful, but it's born from mud, which isn't considered so beautiful. Yep. Or maybe in certain beauty salons because they put all over their skin and so forth. But, yeah, you know, mud's, you get, mud's yeah, good. Mud's great, but you I'm get the advocate. point, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm so here, am I. I'm here for mud. <laughs> yeah, all day. I spray dirt spray on my face every day. <laughs> you do, don't you? Thank you, yeah. Dr. Bush, yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> Look at you, just, what is it, you're, you're building up your enzymic, enzymic yeah, profile, all, all whatever, thing. all of it. All thing. <laughs> yeah. But we, I don't think we do that enough, I think we're just reactive. And so that self-auditing requires us to be autonomous and sovereign and very deliberate. And I think that's something that we could all use a lot more of, yep. is that. Especially cool. intimate relationship. Is there anything else we should share before you go back to hang with the babe? You just had a child. Yeah, it's she's so exciting. cute, man. Has that changed you dramatically? <laughs> Big time. Mm. Big time. I mean, I, I I don't really have an issue accessing my emotions, but every day I just, I look at her and I cry, man. Mm. Especially when she locks eyes with me. Just changed my life. Yep. Just really, oh man, she's just opened my heart up in ways that I can't, I can't verbally express. Yeah, I miss her. I miss her being away from her for a couple of hours. That's cool. Yeah, it's just really... And she's becoming more animated now and she's developmentally just growing so fast, which is equally very sad as well. It's just... It's going like that. Yeah, and imagine opening up to... I mean, that's a part of like being in a relationship, but opening up to new levels of depth of love can be very uh, terrifying because then yeah. it's opening up to new levels of depth of pain and loss. as well. So within that, loss. yeah, I'd imagine with having a child, there would be a lot of like, <gasps> yep. what I'm if, already what if grieving. this goes away? Yeah, I'm already grieving her. Uh, I often look at her and I think she's never going to know all this love that I'm, we're pouring into her and she's going to be 18 or 20 or whatever and she's just going to leave. <laughs> Not because she hates us or anything like that, just because yeah. she's going to be in her own adulthood and I'm already grieving and mourning that, mm. legit. I don't, know, I don't know if that's healthy or unhealthy, but just it comes to me, these visions thoughts feelings come to me and i, and I feel a, a grief around that as well but i i, I don't uh, harp on that or remain in that i spend time very much in the present moment with her just watching her just observing her grow and move and yeah it's, it's very the zero to, the zero to six age frame seems very it's very interesting the, the pressure of that to, to to believe if you do believe in those different systems that like you're really imp you're a, a big part of imprinting the rest of this person's relationship, yeah. attachment styles, and just the way that they engage with life and, and work and diet and just like they're themselves. It's pressure, man. It's pressure. It's 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 responsibility as well. And I feel it. Yeah, I, I feel like within that, you can, you know, no one gives a shit what you say. It's like, you know, they say like, it's how much you care, but it's just like, I think it's who you are. Like, that's your imprint. It's who, who you are, you know, and who you are is something that's like ever evolving, I believe. I agree. Uh, as well. And then who you are compared to who you project 
You know, ultimately your projection is an expression of who you are. Yeah. It just might not seem it on the face, but in fact, it is like a perfect sure. expression of something else. But I think that that's, uh, yeah, it just feels, seems like a, I could see myself having a lot of like, it's kind of like before doing a, like ayahuasca or something like yeah. that. I can, I can, I've had experiences where, not that I've done that much ayahuasca, but, but the times that I have feeling like this pressure of like, oh God, ayahuasca is going to know. Like this yeah. is like this is whatever I gotta clean my shit up because I was gonna know this is gonna suck it's gonna hurt you know it's not gonna feel good I gotta like okay what what is there in here I would imagine a child is a lot like ayahuasca in that way it's a really, if you have that perception yes it's a it's a really great point and yes because I am far more aware of how I show up in my space in my physical space especially when she's in there yeah. in it um, as uh, compared to before. I, I definitely carried awareness before, but now it's a, it's a new level of awareness for me, personally. Mm. It's very big. Yeah, the way that you breathe. All of the it, The way yep. that you communicate, yep. the tone of your voice, the yep. pacing of your language. Yeah, if I've got my phone in my hand, I don't like to see, I don't like her to see me with my phone in my hand too much. Yeah. Just because I, I want her to feel my presence, that I'm there with her. And then within that, it's like at what point, it's just navigating the human thing. It's just, it's just, it's just not that easy. Because at what point is like, okay, I'm going to never get angry because I don't want to show, you know, start pouring anger into this person and make them afraid and make them, you know, all these things. And it's like, well, okay, now you're just going to be repressed. And now you're imposing impression, repression, repression on, this, yeah. on this poor child. Repair is the key to that. Repair is more valuable than not doing the thing. Mm. So, so right. Show that there's love. Yeah, always get, show that yeah, there's love. Yeah, getting angry or doing something scary, you know, purposely or not, but then genuinely repairing from that. Yeah, is far more valuable to the nervous system in terms of them them being more resilient and robust, right. and us as well, than repressing the thing. Right. I'm blessed that I have an awareness around that, or at least it's a belief. Say, it's an awareness, and maybe a maybe it's an awareness, but it's a belief, and so I, I can be a little less hard on myself and. Be grateful for my humanness and and focus on repair. That's a great place to stop. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> You're the best. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. What should people do from here if they want to go deeper into this stuff? If they want to go deeper into your work. I don't actually know what you offer at this point. I know that you you do a lot of things. Yeah. But like, what's the, the most ideal place to point people to go deeper into your work and deeper into these conversations yeah. in, in general? Deeper into repair, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so deeper into repair, probably YouTube channel. It's just, it's just far more, uh, that's Stefanos Safandos. Just, it's far more cohesive there, yeah. playlists and all that stuff. Instagram, at Stefanos Safandos. My website, stefanosafandos.com. One thing that, uh, that's coming up is, when is this being released? We can release any time, probably in, I'd say, within four weeks. Oh, great. So every month here in Austin, and I'll be traveling with around the US with this, but for now, there's something that I do called Breathwork for the Feminine, mm. which is a three to four hour immersive. And cool. yes, Breathwork is part of that. Somatic work is part of that. But it's, it's all about relationships, dating dynamics, masculine, feminine polarity, sexuality, intimacy, healing old collective masculine wounds. Um, it's a women-only event. I do that every every month, and Christine shows up and supports as well, and she's present. And then, uh, well, I'm I'm actually nearly sold out for the 27th of September, mm. 80 women, um, and then the next one's November 7th, cool. and that will be here in Austin. That's at VUCA. If you're familiar with VUCA, 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 VUCA. Oh, I don't know VUCA. I know VUCA. In the city somewhere, anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be fun. And cool. um, is there a URL people could go to for that? Yeah, it's on my webpage. I should actually have a. It, it's. I'm pretty sure it's stephanosfanos.com slash 
breathwork dash four dash the dash the feminine yeah, you'll there. find it there super yeah. easy yeah cool sweet and i really love uh value and appreciate the like the short clips that you put on instagram and all of your social media it's very to the point interesting you know intriguing like i'm actually really engaged with it and it's always very um rewarding you know and, and like it, it feel like i get a lot in a very short amount of time so i appreciate the way that you package the information that you do it's really thanks man well two things that means a lot coming from you because i respect you a great deal and thanks. two it's something that i'm very actively working on and i do find it challenging to condense a lot of i think what is important information in less than a minute yeah. <laughs> but i'm trying communication <laughs> thank you i appreciate that yeah thank you. all right that is it that is all thank you all for tuning in and uh see y'all soon Thank you all so much for tuning into that conversation. If you want to hear more around relationships, receive exclusive content around self-care, mobility, strength training, flexibility, and things of the sort, join us absolutely free in the Align community, which can be found at alignpodcast.com slash community. That is alignpodcast.com slash community. There are a couple thousand beautiful humans in there. I drop in quite regularly. I'm in comments. I'm answering questions. We do lives in their occasion. It is a good time. I appreciate you guys. And I hope you appreciate that as well. Thank you for subscribing to this. Thank you for sharing. You want, want to tag myself at Align Podcast on Instagram, or you can tag Stefanos at Stefanos Sifandos. That is it. That is all. Big kisses. I'll see you next week.